All right, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke 15 is where we're going to be tonight. I have a question for you, though, before, before we get into the Scripture, in, into the text here. Um, I want you to imagine that somebody has come up to you and tried to sell you something. Okay, somebody wants to sell you something. What is the first question you ask? Yes. What, okay, what are you going to sell me? That, that's good. What's the second one? How much does it cost, right? You're going to ask how much it cost. Now, I am not an athlete. Some of you are surprised to know that. Um, so, I know, shocking. I understand. I, I, see, I can see the shock in your faces. So if somebody, say, for example, say Taylor came up to me and he said, Tony, I have a football tackling dummy that I'd like to sell you. Okay, I've got this tackling dummy that I would like to sell you and, and an old helmet that I have that I have no need for anymore. I would like to sell you these things. But I want top dollar for them. He said, I want, you know, big money just like new. That's the amount that I want for them. What are the chances that I'm going to give that to him? That I'm Not very high, right? But why? Because I don't value that very high. Like I don't need, I don't have any use for or desire to own a tackling dummy and an old football helmet, right? That's not a high value to me, okay? That's not, that's, so now, on the other hand, if, well, Taylor can sell ice to an Eskimo, so he might be able to. But uh, now, on the other hand, if he came up to me and said, I have got a 70 Zara Gibson Les Paul in mint condition, that's a really nice guitar. That's a really nice guitar, for those of you that don't know, that I would like to sell you. That I would pay big money. I would pay top dollar for, assuming I had these theoretical top dollars. Right? I, that I would high, value very highly. In the same way, if I went to to Shaley. Say I went to Shaley and I said, Shaley, I've got the soccer ball that Brandy Chastain scored the winning goal in the 1999 World Cup with. Do you care anything about that? No. But Audrey, if I offered you that, would you care about that? Yes, Audrey would care a lot more because Audrey is a soccer player and Audrey was actually alive when that happened, unlike Shaley. But that's a whole other... I know, you were four, but still, you were alive. Shaley was not even around yet. I'm not... So, right, Sh Shaley was not even here, but still, you get the point. See, certain things cost more than others depending on how we value them. Okay, so with that in mind, turn to Luke 14, verse 25. These will be on the, these will be on the screen as well, and uh, I'm not going to read it all at once. I'm going to kind of pause as we go through it, so just kind of, kind of be ready for that. Be, be aware of that, okay? So, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said... Okay, so who is, who is following Jesus? Large crowds, okay? And he's talking to his disciples. Again, we're in this disciple one cycle. We're talking about his disciples and what it takes to be a disciple and, what, and, and these kind of things. So this is our context, okay? There's a bunch of people who, who want to be disciples, or at least they think they want to be disciples, right? And they're following Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, moving on here, the next two verses says, he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So, did Jesus just tell us we should hate our family? That's what you heard a little bit, right? He said, hey, if you don't hate your family, you can't follow me. That's kind of what it sounds like, right? I mean, you should, that's almost what it reads like. But see, here's the thing. Jesus did not want us to do that. We know Jesus loved his mother. Okay, how many of y'all love your mothers? 
Taylor, get that hand up. Well, I've seen you and your mother, okay? I've seen you awkwardly hug your mother all the time. All right, put your hands back down. Thank you. I love my mom. She's wonderful. Okay, she's more wonderful than y'all, so I'm sorry. But uh, Jesus loved his mother. We know that because when he's dying on the cross, he looked down at John and he said, all right, John, you're going to be her new son because I'm dying. And so, Mom, that's your new son. Like, he's going to take care of you, okay? So he loved his mother. He took care of her even when he was dying, which is, which is a pretty big deal, right, that he was looking after his mom even after he died. So we know that he loved his mother. And we know that James, his brother, actually becomes one of the apostles. His brother writes a book of the Bible. So Jesus loves his family, so what is he saying here? What's, kind of, what's he trying to tell us? Is he telling us that we shouldn't love our families, that we should leave our families behind? No, not necessarily. But what he is saying is this. See, see here's what Jesus is, is trying to get across. He's not really saying necessarily that they should hate their brothers and sisters, but that their brother and sister, their family can't be top priority. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, I have to be numero uno. Okay, I have to be number one in your life. So not necessarily that you're going to disown your family, but if there comes a time when you have to choose between me and your family, I'm the choice. You know, there's other times in Scripture where, where a guy said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but can I go bury my dad first? And Jesus said, no, let the dead bury the dead. Okay, he said, no, I, I come first. When you start following me, I become priority number one. I become top thing, okay? He's not saying you should hate your brother and sister. How many of you guys sometimes want to hate your brother and sister, right? Some of you, okay, a lot of hands went up, right? All right, Wes and I haven't fought in a while, but we've had our moments in our lives. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you should hate your brother and sister. Because, and the other way we can tell this, if you notice, he says you should, you should, be prepared to, to give up your, your mother and your father and your wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even your own life. We know he's not going to say you should hate yourself, right? That's not true. What he's saying is I have to come first. Even before you, before your family, before your friends, I have to, be, I have to come first. And then he even gives a little, a little postscript here. He says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. How many of you guys have seen like an actual reasonably sized cross? Like we have one here. Some of you guys have seen it for Easter. You ever tried to carry it? Right? Let's say Harley and Taylor probably have. You, you've tried to carry, right? Is it light or heavy? They're generally heavy, right? Yeah, we've got one in the back. If you want to try it later, we can make this a really good object lesson. I thought about bringing it out, but I didn't want to carry my cross, ironically enough. And uh, so if we want to go back there, we could try that later. But, uh, um, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I wasn't really ready for that today. But, so, yeah, what he's saying is you're going to follow me. You're going to make me number one, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. But that's what you've got to do. He's saying you've got to be prepared to give up everything to follow me, Okay. Moving on, verses 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Out here it hasn't been as big a deal because the economy is good out here, but there's a building in between Orlando and where my grandfather lives. Um, we actually passed by it when we were in Florida for fine arts. Some of you guys may have noticed that. I may have pointed it out to the van I was driving. But it's been there for like seven or eight years now. It's been there for a while because I've been out of college. I've been out of high school 10 years this coming spring. And it was there while I was in college. It may have been there when I was in high school. So, so it's this, you know what I'm talking about, Wes? 
Do you know the building? Okay. Yeah, so you're driving out of Orlando. You're driving uh, east, and you're driving up I-4. And on the right-hand side, it's on the south side of the interstate. And it's a cool-looking building. It's a cool design. I don't even know. It's straight on one side, and the other side kind of curves down like this. It's got glass. It's kind of a skyscraper thing. It's out in the middle of nowhere, which is what's random. It's really, like, by itself. Um, but they started to build it, and then the economy fell apart. And so they never finished it. And nobody's ever moved in. There's never been any offices there. It's just this cool-looking building that isn't serving anything except to remind people of this. These people planned, but they didn't plan for the economy to fall apart, and so they weren't ready to finish it. They weren't prepared to finish the whole project no matter what. Okay, so that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying you would not go to try and build a tower without first knowing how much it's going to cost. Just like we talked about, you wouldn't buy something without finding out what the cost is. All right, I'm not going to go to a car dealership and say, I'd like to buy a car. I'll take that one. And just, that's it? No. Right? You're going to ask and you're going to haggle and those kind of things, okay? We have to be prepared to finish. We have to know the cost and be prepared to finish the whole race, okay? We have to, because it's a long-term plan. You see, Jesus isn't calling us to follow just for the minute when you say the prayer or that night or that week or month or whatever. When you follow Jesus, it's a long-term thing, okay? He gave us the example of marriage, Okay, marriage is kind of our earthly example of our relationship with him. It's a, it's a lifelong commitment. And, and some of you guys come from, from homes of divorce, and, and I hate that for you because, I mean, I, you know, I know that can be really hard. But, but marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment just like our relationship with Jesus is. We have to be prepared for it to go a long time. We know that Paul wrote when he was writing to Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Okay, and he uses this analogy in other places too, or the Bible does, I should say. Taylor, Acts twenty twenty four. Can you give it to me? Don't don't put it up, Wes. Bro, that is Psalm one seventeen or Psalm yeah one one nineteen eleven. Yeah, you just did this in Orlando. We all laughed. Fuh, 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 finish right. There it is. Okay, Acts 20, 24, Tate was doing it too. He interrupted you. That's the way the skit goes. Yeah, Psalm 119.11, almost the same thing though. Almost, yeah, uh, or not. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish, right? F-f-f-finish, like, Taylor, like Tyler said a million and five times and made us all laugh a lot. Okay, the whole thing, he said my only aim, the, uh, the, the person who's speaking in Acts here, my only aim is to finish what God has called me to, not just to start it, but to finish it, how many of you parents ever got mad at you for not finishing your plate? Right? Doesn't happen very often with me. That's, you know, this figure doesn't happen by accident. But, uh, but yeah, okay, we have to finish. We have to be prepared to finish knowing what we're going into, okay? Um, you wouldn't start running a race without knowing what it was going to take to finish. How many of you guys have run track? Okay, I know several of you have. You don't anymore. Harley, you run track? Really? Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean that to sound mean, but <laughs> um, it kind of did. So sorry about that. So you wouldn't, if your coach came to you and said, all right, I want you to run this race, what's your first question going to be? How long is the race, right? You're not going to just start running and wait for the finish. Like, boy, I hope this ends soon. Oh, it's the mile, you say. Whoops, right? Like, that would be unfortunate, right? You have to, you have to prepare for the whole thing, okay? And that's exactly what's happening here. And the reason we have to be prepared to finish is because Jesus promised that he would finish. 
Jesus said, I'll finish with you. He said, he said it right here in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus has promised us that he'll finish with us. Okay, he is doing a good work in all of us. He's doing a good work in our hearts and in our minds and in our church and in our emotions. And he's going to finish that, but we have to finish with him. It's a, it's a two-man thing. Any guys ever done a three-legged race? Right? It's, yeah, so like if you're doing a three-legged race, right, you got the thing tied together and all that jazz, what happens if one person just stops? You fall and neither of you finish. It's a two-person race, okay? Same thing here. This is, this is a three-legged race with Jesus, okay? It's a three-legged race with Jesus as your partner. That's what our life is. I just made that illustration up on the spot. You're welcome. Uh, so we have this thing where, you know, he said, I'll finish, but you have to finish with me. You have to stay strong with me, okay? Now moving on, going into verses 31 and 30 to 33. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So the same thing here. It's about considering the cost, okay? It's about knowing what is about to come, okay? I remember there's a comedian. Um, he talks about when he got to fight with his dad, Okay? Like a physical fight, he talks about this, and and uh, and and in the thing he he talks about, you know, I was looking at my dad, and he was sitting there, couch growing out the back of his head, and and so finally I decided I'm going to fight him, and I, and I said, come on, old man, but it only came out, come on, old moi, you know, and I woke up in the hospital, so that's all I remember, and that's kind of the, the 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 gimmick, and I never got in a fight with my dad, thankfully, but that the comic, the whole thing is there, he underestimated his dad, he said it turns out my dad wasn't lazy, he was just resting. Right? There's a difference between those two things, and that's a whole other tangent that I don't really want to get off on. Um, so I'm going to stop myself before I do. But we have to consider the cost. We have to know ahead of time. But here's the cool thing. I like that, that Jesus uses this, this war analogy here because we know the Bible says, and I don't have this one on the screen or anything, but the Bible says that we battle against principalities, right? And powers of darkness. It's a battle that we're in. There is spiritual warfare, and Pastor Todd's preaching on that on Sunday mornings right now. Right? We live in a in a in a world where there is spiritual warfare. We are involved in a spiritual battle, and that's what we're committing to. When you follow Jesus, you say, Okay, God, I'm on your side in this battle. But here's the good thing about being in battle with Jesus is that it's already over. Okay, the battle, the war has been won already. We know this. Okay, the Bible says several different times, talks about uh, uh, how Jesus is victorious. We know that he came to give us a life more abundant on this earth, that even if we are in a bad way, even if we're having hard times, <clears throat> it says that in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the dude on the other side of the battlefield. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly, depending on your translation. Okay? We're, we're on the winning side. That's why Jesus came was to give us that life more abundant, to give us that life of, 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 of grace and of, of fullness. But here's the thing. Having more of life means we have more of the good and more of the bad. Okay? So when we have more life, sometimes that means we go through hard times. Right? Saul was shipwrecked, or Paul was shipwrecked a bunch of times, and all the disciples, except one, ended up martyred for their faith. They ended up getting killed because they were Christians. And John, the one who didn't get martyred, they tried to martyr him, and it didn't take. He got boiled alive, and 
he didn't die. So that's 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 crazy. Um, and seriously, it happened. He they, they boiled John alive and he didn't die. Um, that would that would be unpleasant, I would think. But uh, I imagine he probably didn't feel very much. I think the spirit was strong enough around him. I don't know. That's kind of uh, uh, my own interpretation of it. But but things are going to be hard sometimes. Okay, we know that. But again, the words of John or the words of Jesus in John sixteen. I have told you this thing so that in me you may have peace. We talked about peace earlier during the prayer time. In this world you will have trouble, trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, we're going to have problems in life, okay? The cost is going to be high sometimes. The cost of following Jesus is not always going to be easy. There are dozens and dozens and hundreds of stories about people being killed for their faith. And luckily we don't live in a society where that's particularly common, okay? That's not real common, but you might get laughed at for your faith, right? You might get you might get made fun of a little bit if you carry your Bible. You might get you might have people get sarcastic with you about about Jesus or about church. They might they might have some snide remarks for you. Okay, these are problems that we're gonna we're gonna deal with, but Jesus tells us it's okay. I have already overcome the world. See in First Corinthians. Paul writes, thanks be to God because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory has already been won. There's a song that we sing sometimes. Uh, I don't know if we've done it here, but it's called The Anthem. And I love it a lot. It's one of my favorites and it's super simple because the whole first, the first half of the song just says, hallelujah, you have won the victory. And then it says, hallelujah, you have won it all for me. So we don't have to fight for ourselves. God has already fought it for us. God has already won the battle for us. He is going to be victorious. Okay, Romans 8.37 is the last scripture I have. says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You see, the cost is high sometimes. The cost of following Jesus is not always easy. Being a disciple sometimes is going to require sacrifice. Okay, sometimes it's going to require uh, you to give up things that you think you want. It's going to give up things of, of our fleshly desires. We're going to have to give those up sometimes. It might be a friendship. It might be a relationship. It might be a boyfriend, girlfriend. You may have to give up. Okay, it may be you have to quit hanging out with a certain group of people. Okay, it may be that it may be something bigger even than that. It may be a hobby that you love, but you know it's taking up too much time. Okay, it might be a... A, a computer, it might be a video game, it might be a style of music that you like listening to, but you know it's not a good influence on you. It might be uh, almost anything. The Holy Spirit sometimes will, will cause us to, to get these things out of our lives so that he can put something better in it. But that's the whole point is that when we have to do this, we have to give up something of our own so that God can replace it with something better. Okay, Wes, will you hit some music for me there? Because, see, that's what God wants to do. Yes, sometimes he's going to require things of you. He's going to require something from you. He wants you to give you his life. And I know most of you, if not all of you, have already done that. Okay, I've seen evidence of that. But do we do that daily? Are we daily taking up our cross and following him like the Scripture says? Are we daily giving up our desires to allow for his? Because if we're not, then we're not really being his disciples yet. We're not really following after him the way he wants us to. He told the rich man, he told, he told him, you sell everything you have and follow me because he knew that that was what the rich man valued most highly. 
He may not say that to you. He, you know, he, he might not tell you or me, sell everything you have. For some of us, that's not that much, so it would be easy. But the rich man had a lot of stuff. And that man couldn't do it. The rich man in the Bible couldn't do it. So he went away sad because he knew he, he didn't have the strength to do that. He, couldn't, he didn't have that much faith in Jesus to give everything up. So if you'll close your eyes and bow your head, I want to challenge you guys with this tonight. Here's how I want to, I kind of want to end the service is with a challenge for you. Look into your life, you know, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you tonight. What is it that you're holding on to? Okay, what is it that the Holy Spirit wants to replace with something better? What is it that the Holy Spirit wants to to take a problem from you, but you're holding on to it because you want to control it. Man, we all got control issues. We don't want to let anybody else control anything, right? Won't let your brother and sister borrow your, your electronics or whatever it may be. You, won't, you, know, you don't want anybody else touching your stuff. We all got control issues. And the Holy Spirit wants to take those things from us. He wants to take those control issues from us and allow Him to have His way. We say it all the time. I feel like every week I quote Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Right? Plans to prosper you and to give you a future, not to harm you and to give you hope. It's my paraphrase. Okay? God has good things for you if you'll get rid of your stuff and let him put his stuff in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight, God, that you would speak to each student here tonight. Lord, that every student that is here God would be struck, God, by, by your Spirit's presence, Lord, that you would just come in this place tonight and, and God, let us feel you in a fresh way. God, I, I pray that, that you would put things in our mind, God, even now in a practical way, Lord, things that are getting in the way of our relationship with you, things that are of high cost, Lord, maybe in our flesh, but, but in the spiritual realm, they're going to be replaced by so much better. God, things that we're trying to hold on to, but they're getting in the way of what you want for us. Lord, I pray that you would put those in our minds. I pray that you would remind us of those things, Lord, when we try to go back to them. God, and I pray that you would draw these students towards you, Lord, that they, they would not be tempted, they would not fall to temptation to go back to those things once they've given them up. Lord, because we know that the victory you have given us is better than those things. Lord, it's better than an earthly, earthly friendship that we think is a good one. Lord, it's better than, than a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's better than, than anything, God, that we can see on this earth, Lord. God, our, our relationship with you is our ultimate purpose. In Genesis, Lord, you put us in the garden for a relationship with you. God, I pray that would be our top priority yet again. God, I pray right now, Lord, for each student. I pray that you would work in their lives, Lord. God, that throughout this week, you would show them the cost. God, that they would know what it is that you are, that you are asking of them. God, it would not be a, a source of confusion. We know that you are not the God of confusion, but you are a God of clarity. And, and so, God, that confusion would not be an issue as we're seeking after your face and after your will. Lord, that we would know you and we would know what you want and know what, what your desires are for us, God. Give them wisdom. Lord, put, put good people in their lives who can speak wisdom into them. And, Lord, let them be open to that. Let them listen to the, to the wise people around them. Lord, you know what's going on and you know who, who's around. God, and you know what, what needs to be done. 
And so tonight we submit to you and to your ultimate authority, God. We submit to, to the things that you have for us and to your plans for us. God, we thank you. We love you. God, in your name we pray. Amen.